0: buddy, and welcome to episode 155 of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. A podcast all about board games, card games, role-playing games, sometimes but not really much anymore because that's done by other websites. <laughs> My name is Quentin Smith and I am joined by Tom Brewster, the boy wonder. Hello. How's it going, Tom? Ooh, oh, the boy wonder? That's an unusual The boy line. wonder just goofed it by talking over me. <sighs> so you've already, I'm going to, so I'll introduce you again. And I'm joined today by Tom Brewster, a boy! I'm a boy! A
1: a boy fine. No longer a boy wonder. Just a boy standard, thank you very much. Standard boy. What's happening in your boyish life, Tom? What's happening in my boyish life? Well, this morning I woke up
0: and uh, now I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That that got me. Uh, What's happening in my life? I got a PlayStation 5 from a Shut Up and Sit Down fan. What?! You can yeah, play all I mean, the I I bought it. I oh, bought, you bought it, it. it. from her.
1: Oh, uh... okay, I was going to say someone donating you a PlayStation 5 is huge. I mean, no, is that I... not going to be like you're going to have a conflict, you're going to be torn away by Video
0: games now. You're going to be playing It all didn't the, happen. All the uh, games. I tweeted that uh, well also partially yes, I haven't played a lot of um, uh, how I've uh, Hang on, how did I forget the name of it? Like, <laughs> what the hell is it? That's the weirdest thing. It's not part. true. How- You've got a PlayStation 4 with two big white ceramic tiles strapped to the side. You're a fraud. It's not true, Tom. That's uh, libelous and it doesn't matter anyway because we're not talking about Playstations. We're talking about some board games and we're talking about three of them on this episode. We're going to be talking about Magnate, the first city, a game that says what if you could develop a property empire and then the bubble could implode and you lose all your money. We're going to be talking about North Barkley, a game that says... Can you build buildings that please everybody? The answer, I believe, is no. And we're going to be rounding off this industrious uh, empire building podcast by talking about Witchstone, a game that says, what if witches had a lot to do and, and not enough time to do it? Is that an <laughs> accurate description of Witchstone? And they
1: have just about the right amount of time to do it in a way that's very satisfying. But we're going to come round to that right at the end.
0: The Little Cherry... The cherry on top of this industry cake. You should leave a witch's cherry alone for like so many reasons, Tom. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, Magnate the First City is a board game that comes in an enormous box. This was uh, birthed on Kickstarter a couple of years ago, raising uh, almost 100,000 pounds or dollars. And it is a game, fittingly, about a boom, a property boom. Now, there are games about acquiring land, there are games about developing a business empire. Magnate is trying to be more simulationist. It wants a game that sort of models how property booms actually work, but keeping things light and fun. And to that end, uh, this is a game that is packed full of more plastic than your average child's toy box. Uh, When you open this box, the first thing you're going to see is uh, a plastic inlay and then another plastic inlay and both of them are full of dozens of plastic, brightly coloured buildings that you're going to lay out on your table. Um, so as you play Magnate, which starts with some three-dimensional buildings on the table, even just to begin with, it looks like this, this exciting and attractive and playful thing. And then by the end of your game, you're going to have something in your table that looks like a train set. It's going to be <laughs> covered, of, covered with tiny little shopping malls and tiny houses. And actually, the toy factor in this game is so high that the first player marker is literally a toy. It's a tiny <laughs> digger that was not made for this game. It's clearly like a children's digger toy because the like digging arm on it is, is like retractable and also the thing has wheels on the bottom which is great because it means that when the first player marker moves you can roll it along the table and destroy everything in its wake yes Uh, so that's good isn't it that's great so the the kind of plot of Magnate the first city don't know why it's called the first city because it, it, this, this is not it's not a first city in any respect but um, <laughs> the game imagines a fictional town called something like Humbleburg. Humbleburg is correct Oh good thank you and the councillors of Humbleburg have uh, basically sort of removed all of the difficult zoning laws around the city which means all the players are like property empires who are moving in to make use of the fact that they can buy land now they can expand the city they can make a lot of money and they can do all of this while racing to get it done before the bubble collapses, because in Magnate, values of land increase and increase and increase to unsustainable levels, and the game always ends with the bubble collapsing, at which point I hope you've sold all of your property. Brief aside here, uh, there was a Kickstarter stretch goal for this game that said that the companies that players could play, which usually in board games might just have their own icon or their own logo and colour, in Magnate, these are fully fleshed out companies. It's like picking your character's (laughs) race in Dungeons and Dragons or something. I love this so much. So Tom, can you talk a bit about the company you were playing? I can't remember the name of it, but it was called something
1: dynamic. It was called like Fusion Enterprise or something like that. And my wallet that I kept my money in was like sleek and black and my logo was red and silver. And I was basically horrible. But your people were sort of a family company of just chill estate investors.
0: So the only difference between all these companies, you're right, is just the backstory. But my backstory was like, well, you're this mum and pop property firm and now these big companies are moving in, so you better get your stuff together. And yours was like side hustles. <laughs> <to> make, <laughs> there's a, and then there's a weird web 2.01 with like a bubble logo. <laughs> but it's it's weirdly hilarious to start this game with like two paragraphs of your company and kind of why it's sinister or what's wrong with it. Um, <laughs> like, at Absolutely no bearing on the game at all, but it it really made me giggle before before we started playing. So to continue my uh, description of the game, Magnate, like a lot of kind of property games you might imagine, sees players uh, taking turns um, and on your turn, you might buy land. You might construct buildings on land you own and you might try to attract tenants. And tenants is where Magnate starts getting a bit different from what you've played because there is a limited pool of tenants in Magnate, the pool of people who want, you know, retail space and homes and and industrial parks and stuff. Um, Our game of Magnate with me and Tom started with us both like building some houses and then you put a tenant in those houses and we were building houses at about the rate that new tenants were coming in so it was quite profitable and then there was one really interesting turn where we both saved our money up for a massive apartment block and we actually <laughs> built them on opposite sides of town and suddenly that made the tenancy system really pop because there just weren't enough tenants to go in both of our apartment blocks and it was just a sort of like oh well i i think i came across I came out of that slightly better but then once you sort of start filling buildings with tenants then it gets the tenancy system gets even more interesting because how easy it is to uh to put a tenant in your building for example to find someone to live in a new little house you built is based on other tenants that are around them so let's imagine that well I this I say imagine this is literally what happened in our game tom say <laughs> built a house and then put some students in it And then those students would increase the desirability of like my retail space, which meant it was easier for me to like put a convenience store in there. But then the fact that there was now a convenience store in that block would make it easier for all future houses and apartment blocks to find find tenants. And this goes the other way as well. So if like uh, say your opponents buy some land that's next to your land, you might quickly like build a chemical plant because (laughs) you know that the only tenants that are left that your opponent probably wants are say retail tenants who don't want to live next to a chemical plant. Um, so that's all kind of interesting. Um, and then once you've filled your properties with tenants, you start collecting rent from them and rent's good, right? But where, again, where Magnate differs from other games is that you actually want to sell these buildings and, it, and get rid of all that rental income, um, the, pretty much the moment you've put tenants in buildings, because the money you make from selling a building with happy rent paying tenants is so much more, it's like a much faster payday than collecting rent, And that fast payday is what you want because the bubble is going to collapse at some point. And so you want to keep buying, you want to reinvest that land into more properties, bigger properties. So while you start by building little retail spaces and houses, you might move up to building shopping malls and giant, huge blue plastic office blocks. Um, And so it's kind of, you're, you're kind of monkey barring your way along using small buildings to get to bigger buildings, to get to more bigger buildings. And then the thing is, though, is that as, you know, tenants start running out and as you do other things like uh, like advertise too much or don't advertise, you add these sort of risk cards to a deck and that increases the chances that the bubble will pop. And when the bubble pops, that's the end of the game and all players have to sell their property um, for less than they would have got otherwise. So you're kind of trying to weigh up making money with trying to sell your buildings. And that's kind of a, a, a quick overview of Magnate, which is sort of... Not a heavy game, aside from literally, physically, the box is very heavy. (laughs) It's it's relatively straightforward. Um, And I worry now, actually, that I've maybe made this sound a bit more sort of exciting than I should have done. Because while Magnate has a lot of really interesting stuff going on, it also has some Problems that made Tom and I really not want to go back in for a second game. Uh, but I've been talking for a while. Uh, Tom, what, what are you, what, what are some thoughts that you have on Magnate? So I think maybe the biggest thing that we might have struggled
1: with was. The fact that the game presents this very interesting question of like, when do you sell your properties? When do you cash out and get loads of money? Because they're, they're, their value is only going to increase the more that you build up an area. And there's obviously some risk that's baked into that. Like, what if someone builds a giant chemical plant next to your residential area? Like, there's that kind of risk you're juggling. But ultimately, the big risk is that end game when the market crashes and everything gets reduced to being worth literally nothing like we had the, the difference between not literally nothing, not literally like, nothing, figuratively
0: nothing
1: <laughs> the difference between selling a property at its peak and selling a property once the market has crashed you might as well not sell it at all uh the extent to which the market can can fall out in this game and mm. i think that the thing we struggle with at least in a two-player game maybe this changes with higher player counts is that there wasn't a sort of gradation of decline it was there was an obvious time for us to sell which then crashed the market it was like putting the cart before the horse a little bit me and you sort of realized well the likelihood is that as soon as the next card gets pulled from the deck the market will crash so we all sold which definitely crashed the market and then the game was over and it was basically a game of inches before then as to who managed to get just the right ten in it was a game of turn order really because i remember the pivotal turn was that one where you managed to fit your apartment block with three sets of families or something and i could only fit in some families and some students and then that difference mm. expounded across the whole game in a way that felt very <laughs> i mean very monopoly like right it felt like yes. a situation where the person who is ahead stays ahead and that's fine in some games but when that happened right at the end it felt a little bit defeating in a strange way
0: yeah i i i totally agree i i immediately had a problem with magnet even halfway through i'd, I'd kind of realized that we were crunching to be like oh, well where what land should i buy and what should i build on it and who should i try and put in it and how much should i bid for turn order but ultimately all of these questions like might earn us you know a hundred thousand dollars here a hundred thousand dollars there um so you, you the game expects you to work very hard to to get fractionally more money than your opponent's but let's say I chose to sell my biggest buildings the turn before you did, and the market happened to collapse that turn. That's a that's a game win for me. Yeah. And likewise, even if I chose to sell all my buildings on the turn when statistically it is most likely that the market will collapse, that might not collapse the market just through the randomness of the card draw, and then I've lost the game even though I did what anyone what was the only sensible thing to do just through random chance, and that is that's. On the one hand, really not great for a game. On the other hand, very accurate as I understand (laughs) how property works because you don't quite know when the bubble's going to pop. I mean, the idea of having a game
1: like this that simulates like the real actual busts and this sort of insidious knowledge that those busts are coming and that you caused it is delightful like i think that is a really strong through line for this kind of game that's actually taking hey you know i made a comparison to monopoly it's going hey look at this game this is what happens if this game is real which by the way it is.
0: It, it's a thought-provoking game, yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And there, but, and that's not to say there aren't some really fun little twists in there. Like the, the, this idea of having buildings in adjacency reducing the value around them. Like buying land just to use it to annoy your opponents. Like wreaking havoc on a city-wide scale to just like make a little bit more money. That's like character. There's storytelling yeah. in that box. But it's just layered under some design that might not be as strong as it could be because it's so focused around that end game. Uh,
0: yeah yeah i agree i also think my uh, the big criticism that i had written down actually that i think is really unfortunate is uh, um well so magnate is full of all of these giant plastic buildings they're what make it an expensive game they're also what sold the kickstarter because magnate like a lot of kickstarter games um had this utterly outrageous packaging and design where you got you know so many plastic buildings and your digger and all this other (laughs) like it's a very very plasticky box but on the one hand that, you know, you might have heard this on Shut Up and Sit Down before, but games that use more plastic than they need to when climate the climate crisis is getting more and more serious just don't feel super great to me personally. Um, but also the plastic in Magnate not only doesn't, need to be there it actively gets in the way both and i mean that literatively literatively <laughs> and i mean that literally and figuratively because the important things in magnet aren't actually the buildings because having a big empty building with two exceptions that doesn't affect the property values of, of the neighboring buildings um what matters is tenants so like if i have a retail park that has like a boutique mm. restaurant that's not going to attract um you know most residential people but a convenience store will but the tenant tokens are very small, two-dimensional pieces of cardboard. And in fact, with bigger buildings, you can't even fit them all onto the square. And then the plastic buildings are blocking players' views of the tenancy tokens, and the tenancy tokens are the only thing that matters. So you've kind of, you end up building this very visually arresting and charming, but utterly obstructive 3D cityscape that sits in the way of all the tenancy tokens that you actually need to see to win the game. And similarly, players' um, company icons are sort of like these drab and semi-realistic logos. But they fade into the background when you put them next to like a luminous fire hydrant <laughs> red building. It's like, you want to see the tenancy token and you want to see who owns that building. And those are visually a, a, a very hard to distinguish next to a primary colored three-dimensional, you know, sculpt. It's it's utterly backwards. You know, it's, it's just
1: a shame seeing the fact that, that it would be a very simple twist to then instead have the tenants being slightly more prominent like there's a little slot on top of the buildings that you're meant to fit your company logo in or at least that's what we determine Mm. you're meant to fit your logo in if it was just a tenants piece that stuck out the top it would make the board so much more readable but as Mm. it stands that's not how it works it's just a weird little misstep that made the game a little bit trickier to pass than we would have liked and speaking of that i was going to say that i won't get into how the system works but the system for collecting tenants where you roll a bunch of dice and you reference this grid i continually found a little bit brain melty not in its actual how it works but just in the amount of information you have to pass on that reference card and maybe we soured that by going straight into using the advanced tenants rather than the standard ones but
0: those also did give a fair amount of charm and colour to the game. So it's a bit of a trade-off. It is very funny. Because if you build a residential area and put a family in there, just like real life, a family will, will affect property values because people see it as a safe yeah. you know, place to raise a family. But if you fill a house with a bunch of students, not only do they pay less rent, but it doesn't impact property because students living in a house... It does. It doesn't have the same symbolism, and that's yep. the fact that Magnate models that is super cute. I think that's really really fun.
1: L- like I said, there's a bunch of storytelling
0: in the box, but yeah, under that design and under that plastic, it's hard to recommend, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would not. I I, I don't know who I would suggest that Magnate is for, but I I am happy to cover it because. I think some of the things it's, it's, it's trying to do are really interesting. And I think as a production, even though it gets so much wrong and it's backwards and, and you know, environmentally not ideal, I think it's an interesting production and it does do some charming stuff. Also, hey, hey, the other two aren't on this podcast. I don't know what Ava and Matt think about paper money, but you and I actually both quite like paper money and Magnate is full of paper money. I like paper money. It makes me feel like I'm five and running a pretend grocery shop. Uh, for my mum shall we talk about another game that is also kind of
1: interesting also doesn't quite hang together but is regardless something that we want to talk about or
0: at least i want to talk about can i say no no (laughs) that segue was too perfect tom uh, why don't you talk a little bit about North Barkley? So North Barkley is a game that pairs
1: very well, I think, when talking about uh, magnates. Uh, it's a similar game about property development. It's kind of a weird answer to a lot of other games that are coming out that are about property and about tenants and about all this kind of stuff. Um, Quinn's how do you feel about public transport
0: i am a bit a fan of it i've used it my entire life i haven't owned a car for a long time and without public transport let me tell you my life would be a lot more boring and hard
1: that's good because this game takes place when public transport has collapsed uh no (laughs) so north parkley the game is based off uh a real place in the bay area and it's based around a hub for what was known as the bart which is the bay area rapid transit system it was basically a park and ride where you'd park up your car and then you'd be able to get in a train and go somewhere you wanted to go
0: so this is a real area in in san francisco yes
1: yes in san francisco it's a real place uh and this is a game that simulates the redevelopment of that Bay Area in San Francisco around this station once it's been decommissioned. So basically the local government has this huge amount of space that they need to fill with buildings for tenants. And that is where you come in in the game. You're trying to fill this grid of uh, spaces with buildings. The way the game plays out is incredibly simple. Uh, You have a big lot of open spaces, and collectively all the players need to decide what they put in the lot. And each individual building has spaces that can hold high income, middle income, or low income residents. And these buildings all cost different amounts to place. It could be 5 million, 6 million, 1 million, or none million, and you total up the expenditure at the end of the game. You've also got parks and garages that can go on the grid, but they will take up valuable housing space. Now, how the game itself actually plays out is uh, this pure negotiation game. You have a board with four spaces at the start, and then it will expand later on, and you have a huge spread of options for buildings to place on them. You set a timer for 10 minutes, and then every player has to agree on what buildings get placed on that grid. Uh, if you don't come to an agreement after 10 minutes then someone calls in the local government to make the decision and you bit random tiles on those to be built spaces which is (laughs) that's such an indictment of uh, of government it's lovely Um, now this would all be really simple if the game's premise was just like how is the most people but each player represents a different group of constituents with different needs which kind of boil down to different scoring conditions but they have a lot of flavour to them so for example like fiscal conservatives want the least spend possible like they want none of the buildings to cost anything. um people who want to preserve our views they want lots of parks landlords want lots of high income housing, etc etc um, but the twist here is you'd think that each player just has one set of constituents and they want the best for them. each player actually has a hand of two constituents so they're often internally conflicted and then halfway through the game this increases to three sets of constituents. So you're balancing your own internal needs and your own internal conflicts between the groups in your hand with that of the other people
0: around the table, which is really, really cool and really unique. But when Magnate was like a number crunching game, this sounds more sort of, well, you said it's a negotiation game, but it also sounds a bit more almost role y Yes. It's very group dependent, I think. Uh, it's very it's a game of sort of chat
1: and compromise and the rules are super loose and i would go as far to say that like it's not even a rock solid like game it's not particularly balanced like if you have that fiscal conservative card you're not going to get any points for it i'm sorry everyone else around the table is going to (laughs) want to buy things and you're going to be alone in going i want to buy nothing it's ridiculously difficult to to have them in your hand so you'll often just ignore them and like that is a problem like it's not a great game it's more like a team building exercise uh it's unbalanced and it's wobbly and everyone has irrationally demanding needs but you're right it becomes a kind of role-playing game we played two games of this back to back and the first game everyone played it sort of more like a game and realized that they couldn't get what they needed to and just conceded to someone else's demands but the second time everyone just became really obstinate and were like, no, I demand that we spend no money or I will press the random button. And it genuinely became this game of like, people actually coming together to build something and listening to each other and building things according to what
0: the other people wanted. I'm really interested in this. And so you haven't mentioned, I think, one of the more interesting things about North Barkey, which is that it's actually a gamecraft game. Yes. Yeah. I haven't even mentioned the designer. It's
1: designed by uh, Alfred Twoo, who's got a bunch of projects under his belt that are often just about this kind of like civil and housing debate stuff. They're often very specific games. And I got recommended this game by someone just a very passionate fan of his who uh, sent me an email saying, hey, you should check this, this very strange thing out. And it is, it's really strange. I don't know if I'd recommend it to many people, but as an experience, incredibly interesting. And then just to loop back into Magnate, I think that North Barkley has similar narrative goals, maybe to Magnate, but goes about it in a very different way by focusing on... Um, the the people rather than the buildings. It's focused on property in its use rather than like its asset value. And like, that's kind of in every aspect of the design the fact that you're putting tiles down that are 2d minimalist buildings rather than these big chunky lumps of resin the fact that you're like holding your tenants in your hand for the whole game rather than sort of like slotting them into buildings and forgetting them mm. and i'm not comparing these games in saying like one way is like better than the other uh they're e- they're both equally fun ways into like looking at how property works Um, But it's so interesting to me that two games are ostensibly about the same thing, like the property market, but they diverge so wildly in how they represent it based on where they choose to like focus their energy. And Mm, yeah, the very last thing that I'd really want to talk about with North Barkley is we talk sometimes about these games that have like a point or a morality or a narrative to them where they'll either not push you either way and you'll be left to draw your own conclusions about the morality or they will push you towards like you should feel bad if you take this action. Um, The ending of North Barkley made my whole group feel really sad, because through all of our squabbling, we built a set of buildings that just meant that we just gentrified the hell out of this neighbourhood. Like, tons of these high-income residents poured in and just dislodged everyone else, and we just had this shuffling procession of people that we had to kick out of houses and created a huge homeless population through our, like, private interests. Wow, 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 wow. It's this weird collective score that you have where you're fighting over these needs and not realizing what you're actually doing, uh, which I think is
0: kind of a little bit of genius in there yeah yeah it sounds it it sounds it and i i mentioned this only earlier but i think it it bears explaining to people who haven't heard of it so do you want to talk about how the gamecrafter.com is that the url yeah something Uh, like that (laughs) okay well they can google it but uh do you want to talk about how that website works
1: yeah so it's sort of a print on demand service effectively uh so when you buy a game from gamecrafter they're assembling it and like all the pieces are laser cut and it advised you to go over the edge with like a little cloth so you wipe off the soot <laughs> from the laser cutter which was a great waste of 20 minutes of my life but there's all the like components come you know you don't buy a copy of north Berkeley so much as you buy like a set of 20 red meeples a set of 20 white meeples uh a printed board that they then put in together like it's a weird little process it's like yeah it's, it's print on demand is the best way of putting it um so they don't have stock necessarily all lined up in a
0: warehouse you just get it w- if you want it it's weird but it makes sense i like it as a, a way that designers can self-publish though you know i feel like it's it's a, it's an alternative to kickstarter that's rarely talked about mm. um for, for obvious reasons because you know i mean kickstarter's all about making as much money as possible and get everyone really excited but then the game crafter is quietly there being like hey if you've got a game we'll make it for you whenever someone wants to buy it yeah. i think it's really cool so that's
1: two weird games about property. Wow. What a what an exciting podcast! If
0: you're into finance and buildings, <laughs> I mean, well, uh, we're going to talk about witches in a moment. I, I do just want to say before we move on that I think North Berkeley sounds really interesting, and I really like that it's it sounds like it's experimenting in that um, e- unexplored area between games and role playing games. You know, where mm. there is negotiation and there's there's trying to inhabit the emotional side of the game, but then there's also some of the rules and structure that and systems design that comes from board games. I think that's really I think that sounds cool and I would want to try it. Yeah. I'll bring it down. We can have a bit of a North Barkley. I really want to see what it's like with uh
1: the highest possible player counts where you uh everyone instead of playing as four people who each have two constituents, you play as teams of two people who each have their own constituents. So you oh, like wow. battle between each other? Like it's like you're everyone's like an etin and they're fighting amongst themselves. I think that's could be really interesting and also could be utter hell like that 10 minute negotiation period will not
0: survive (laughs) wow i'm now thinking about a north Berkeley mega game where you have like 50 people and doing like you know actual sort of community meetings and hobnobbing to try and figure out what gets built that could be really (laughs) cool okay uh we've teased our witches and also to clarify we haven't recommended really magnet the first city or north Berkeley because you know they're both interesting experiments maybe not you know rush out and buy them right now absolutely territory Let's talk about a game that is real good. Yeah, real good. Let's talk about Witchstone, designed by
1: uh, Martino Cicera and Rainer Knizia a little bit, right? Rainer's got his hands in this one. Um, Witchstone, me and Quinn's had a really good time with this. We really enjoyed this game. Uh, It's a game about being witches, and it's a game about watching loads of little tracks go up and also doing some spatial puzzles and also moving things on a big
0: board. Like, yeah witches have never seemed so industrial i always I, I did not know that witches had so much crap to do and so little time to do it witchstone sort of envisions witches as like very busy people
1: very busy and they want to create infrastructure you think about just a witch kind of chilling at home but these witches they want they're expansionist yes hundred percent hundred percent so witchstone is kind of this game of two halves is the best way of describing it it's like a game of a little spatial puzzle that sits in front of you uh, and it's a game where you move lots of things around on a really big board and that big board i'm gonna make quinn's real angry by saying this it's kind of like Eurogame game wario oh great uh, you're playing several distinct smaller mini games uh, although that makes it sound more exciting because most of the mini games are kind of just going up a track uh, but they're also linked um, but that's getting a bit ahead of ourselves uh, let me tell you about the game itself so that board in front of you has a cauldron on it And that cauldron has tons of hexagonal spaces to fit in ingredients. These ingredients... This is your little personal board. Everyone gets a cauldron. Everyone's got their own little cauldron. Uh, And these have tons of hexagonal spaces that you can put ingredients in. They look like... These ingredients look like two hexagons stuck together with a different symbol on each bit of hexagon. And then you socket these into your big grid of hexes and you'll take the action depicted on each side of that two-headed hex. So if you've got a magic wand on one side, advance up the wand track. If you've got an energy crystal, place an energy crystal on the board. But the first spicy rub here is that if you socket one of those hexes into your grid and it makes a cluster of the same symbol, you take that action as many times as there are symbols in that cluster. So if there's three magic wands, you do three magic wand actions. If there's seven pentagram symbols, you take seven pentagram actions. And straight off the bat, that made me go, oh, that's juicy. That's a it's little puzzler. Sad
0: exciting yes. yeah you, you set up witchstone and you've got a, a, a you described it as two hexagons fused together I will now describe it as a angular peanut mm. um, <laughs> so you, you've got a, like a hand of five angular peanuts with two symbols on and immediately I love witchstone's sense of escalation because the first you know um, like double hex peanut thing you put in your cauldron it's like you get to do one pentagram action and one wand action but by the end of the game you know obviously on the, it's like a 12 or 11 turn game or something yes. by the 11th turn you are doing like you place a peanut and then it's like well i'm going to do uh five crystal and a six with the which action <laughs> six times it's absurd and it really, really builds and uh, until it gets almost like too much and then the game ends. Yes, I, that feeling of it ending exactly
1: when it should is so prevalent in this game. And it, it gives you that feeling of, oh, if I had one more turn, I could do a little bit more. And like, I've learned to love that feeling. That's the sign
0: of something that, that co-he- coheres very well. There are some games yeah, like- Yeah, but I think to me, that, that's the sign that- That's important to me because that means you will play the game again. Yes. It's like you're left with just that, like, oh, what, what, it's over? You know, that's- because if you finish it, go well. That was great, and I'm I didn't need any more of it. You're gonna put that game on your shelf. You're not gonna take it down for three years. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, it's 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 got that perfect cutoff point where you can see that if you were just a little bit smarter, you could go a little bit higher up that track next time, which is a great little tempting way to get you in. But we should talk about what the actions actually are uh, and how they feed into each other in kind of fun ways. Um, The first one is the energy action, which basically, so all of these actions you're taking on your cauldron will correspond to the main board in some way. Uh, except for one of them. We'll talk about that in a second. But the energy action lets you basically lay roots across the main board. So if you have a one strength energy, you can put one little crystal down to start building a root. These range from just one crystal needed to three crystals needed. But then what do you use those roots for? Well, that links into the witch action, which lets you move your witches across energy roots. Actually, I should explain, the first time you use the witch action, you just put a witch sleeping in a tower (laughs) And then with another oh, yeah. witch action, you can move them along your roots. The is witches very... come
0: onto, the little wooden witches come onto the board sideways. Yeah. So they're like, you you spawn them and then they're just slumped over face down on the ground. I
1: seem to remember you taking a turn that was just pouring like six witches into one tower and being like, they're all just having a big nap. And then later on, they got to move. You have
0: not explained. And by the way, neither has Witchstone. Why like we're generating like dozens of witches and sending them <laughs> around this tiny weird map, which is like- It's a crystal ball, isn't it? There's- churches you can visit there's forests yeah. there's there's witch towers but it's like at no point did the game tell me why it's important for me to deliver my witch to a forest it's just like assumed that the best thing you can do as a witch is is explode seven witches into all the nearby churches and forests i think i could have read you, you the law doing?
1: and i could have explained oh. as to why but i definitely skimmed oh. over it at that point, okay. we were very tired and very hungry. And you said, I'll buy you some food if you learn this game. <laughs> I, did, I did say that, yeah. It was it a, was, very, it was good a I'm happy with. very good exchange, very good exchange, which is great because actually I should say that if you weren't really tired, uh, this game would probably be really great to teach. It's actually quite simple when it comes down to it um mm. but i'll finish off with these with these actions um so the witch action lets you move across the board you score points if you get the witches into witch towers the wand action lets you move up a wand uh which is stuffed with bonuses same with a pentagram action that lets you move around a pentagram circle that gives you bonuses and a lovely juicy touch that pentagram action might get you things like single hexes you can slot in your cauldron that are, have two symbols on them so you can really diversify where you're getting your actions from oh it's juicy Uh, there's an action that lets you take scrolls. It'll give you end game point scoring bonuses. And there's my favorite action, which is maybe the best part of the game, which is the one that lets you move crystals around your pot. Uh, You have these actual physical crystals that are super annoying because they block spaces that you want to put hexes in. But if you move them out of the cauldron, you get more bonuses. The problem that I had and what kind of made it my favorite because I love to hate things in games is that I would often move the crystal immediately into a place that i then probably actually wanted to use so i would be like oh. blocking my own spaces
0: i do think that the crystal action is the best action it's because so the the other the other five things you can do on your turn are like you know it's divorced from the most interesting part of the game which is this cauldron double this this peanut hex placement thing you're doing <laughs> um and i love that the crystals get in the way i love what i would do and again yes you're right I, the loving to hate them is so good because if the crystals are in the wrong place, it's it's because you put them there. <laughs> like, or you, But what I would do is I would I needed to get them out of the way because they start in the middle of your cauldron, which is, that's the most fertile place or will be for like placing a, a hexagon that will be connected to all these other clusters of actions. Yeah. So you need to get them out of the middle of the cauldron, but then if you move them all the way off the cauldron from the sides, that's when the crystals become bonus actions. Mm. But I would move them like... Right to the edge of the cauldron and then leave them there because they didn't have enough points (laughs) and then i didn't get the actions and that sounds really mundane but you're laughing because you know how annoying that would be in that game it's it's very relatable watching you
1: or me like just sat there we like just head in hands looking at your cauldron being like oh i want to make this more efficient but there's crystals in the way (laughs) it's great it's it's got this really solid spatial puzzle. It's got this great like complexity ramp. It's it's points everywhere and it's surprisingly brief. There's so little room to not love things in this game.
0: Yes, and the theme is is charming. It's it's like nonsense, but um, oh, what was that? my wife doesn't uh, so the you know the the sitcom series um, uh, what we do in the shadows. Oh yeah, yeah, is, yeah, you know, and the movie. So my wife doesn't like that because she, uh, she doesn't think the writing is that good. And I'm like, yeah, I'm with you. I don't I don't think the character development is that good. But what I love that Adam's family like spectacular <laughs> kind of. I just, I I find that so charming and Witchstone really plugs into that. Placing a little wooden witch on a board is, just makes me laugh. Like advancing <laughs> down a one track and spinning around a pentagram and... Like, <clears throat> like this is this is a this is a, a small teaching tip for anyone who goes out and buys a witchstone. The re- the the cauldrons as you're placing hexagons into them are full of like weird fluorescent bubbling liquid in your player color. But the reverse of the cauldrons is just an empty cauldron, which is just a small art artistic detail. But you wouldn't use the empty cauldron in the game. But what you can do is you can deal out the empty cauldrons to all of the players. And then say, you know, you can as you're teaching the game. The first episode of the game could be, "Welcome witches to the table." Now, of course, we can only be industrious witches if we have full cauldrons. So everyone, please vomit into your cauldron. And then you go, and then you flip over the cauldron, and suddenly the cauldron's full of like just horrible bilious liquid. <laughs> that that's that's I, I don't know. I, I'm I feel like I needed to share it on the podcast because once I realized you could do that during a teach, and I wouldn't be able to do it because you taught me the game i i needed to you need to sure share really it with walking. with people i think that would just be such i think you'd, the idea of starting a teach with a surprise and a laugh with like that is just you know <laughs> and an interactive ah oh, wish i've chuckle. taught
1: which oh i'm yeah. sorry you were too busy eating nachos if i
0: remember correctly i was yeah 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 <laughs> and watching you learn it <laughs> yes um I have I have a... So, we like this game. It's good. It's solid. The, the witchy theme is good. I have a super weird criticism, okay? I, I, don't, okay. I, I haven't told you about this. I'm, oh, um, I'm excited. So, I I really enjoyed learning Witchstone. I enjoyed playing Witchstone. and But I don't know if I'd be that person... Like, I think it's a good game. I think it's a great game. I think people could happily go out and buy Witchstone. But I don't know how excited I personally would be to play a second game. Or rather, what took some of the wind out of my sails was... When the final thing that happened in our game is we totted up the score. And do you remember what our score was, Tom? They were the same. We had, we both had something like, like a high number. It's like, you had like, I don't know, like 60 points. And I had 60, or like 120 points. And I had 120 yeah. points. We got exactly the same score, right? Yeah. Now that's weird to me because you and I did pretty different things in this game. You, Because of the nature of building up these action clusters, you tend to specialise. You, you go, oh, well, because of how I've happened to have played it looks like i can build up a completely ridiculous pentagram action and i was taking more pentagram actions i was taking more wand actions you were doing way more of the root mm-hmm, placement mm. and witch dispatching <laughs> um and yet we ended up with exactly the same score yes and that alarms me and it left a sour taste in my mouth because i think witchstone might be get ready for two words you're not going to expect together no. i think witchstone might be too balanced okay um, now are you ready this is this
1: is spicy okay you haven't listened okay. to the last podcast right oh no not yet we no. had exactly the same conversation on the last podcast no about a game called lunar capital which uh, i played twice back to back and i got so this is here's my thesis here's
0: my rebuttal to your claim about okay. which i well, played... should i finish why what my complaint go... is this finish exactly the same thing <laughs> Well, the, my thing is that because Witchstone is a game that says, okay, there's these six different kinds of actions you can do, and they're all discrete. You can move crystals, and you can lay roots, and you can move witches, um, and they all get you points, and that's exciting because you're like, oh, well, where do you see opportunity? Where do you see value? But if ultimately doing any of the six actions will get you approximately the same amount of points. It doesn't actually matter what you do. Yep. It's just a case of what do you feel like and what what do you happen to have the opportunity to do the most of. And that is actually weirdly dull. And I'm going to compare it to a game that inexplicably I keep referencing and I don't know why, Gugong. <laughs> um but you you described um, Witchstone as like WarioWare, right? Yes. It's like all these different mini games on the board. Gugong is that, but more so. But the thing about Gugong is that all of those games are absolutely not created equal. One of them you have to everybody has to do a bit because it's the only action that gets you a giant super worker. Um, one of them is just a tiebreaker. What's that's good? The the like weird law writing action is super powerful. And that like Great Western Trail, which is also a game that offers multiple routes, and not all of them are created equal. That makes the game exciting because trying to fit, it's like, okay, I can do six different actions, but I know they're not all equal. So what do I think is worse? What do I think is better? Is a really interesting question. And it means that repeat plays are more exciting because you're like, ah, oh, this game did not work out for me. Maybe this this mechanic in this game isn't as good as the others and I should only do it in a pinch. And that to me lends a game real staying power as you try and figure out what the strategy is. Yep. And that's what I find Witchstone didn't have. So sorry, big ramble over. Why don't you talk about where you ended up with Lunar Capital? Well, this
1: is So we ended in a similar spot where we were talking about Lunar Capital and it was a game where uh the point was that both people got almost the same score and the thing that i think worries me is when you get the same score more than once if you play a game multiple times and you get similar scores then i'm like oh is this game ultimately like does it sort of play itself or if you play relatively like efficiently you're going to probably end up in a good spot regardless like if you can't Mm. pinpoint where the game changed and you ended up with similar points like it's it's immediately less interesting to me. I would be interested in playing another game of Witchstone purely to see if you really gunned for one particular strategy whether those points would start getting more and further and further apart on successive games.
0: I think gunning for a particular strategy would get you a worse score in Witchstone, because I think what you and I both did in Witchstone is we just identified areas where the other person wasn't like that's yes. the game to me and because you i was distressed because i was trying to build up some the, the pentagram bonuses look really good to me because they permanently improve your cauldron so i went for that first whereas you went for the one well one of the few areas that players are really competing which is root building mm-hmm. because if you place a route then another player can't place a root, and there's a lovely system where you have to pay additional witch actions to move on someone else's route but it meant that you just splashed out all your energy and locked in all the roots way before me and i never really recovered from that so that. F- so, but it, and if I had been like, well, I'm gonna do roots anyway, I would have lost the game. But because you went roots, I did something else. I tried to beat you on the wand, which I succeeded at, and then ultimately you gave up on the wand because I was beating you on that. So the game in Witchstone, I think, is really is like identifying where the best deal is. Mm. Um, but I guess my fear, and really, with, I'm being very negative to a game I really did enjoy and, and <laughs> happily encourage people to buy. But I, I, if the game is simply, well, what's the best deal on this turn? I worry that maybe I found it a little too easy to figure out that best deal. And then, yeah, the game kind of played itself as a very, is is a cruel phrase, but something along those lines, yeah.
1: Is it uh, maybe an accurate comparison in some extent to compare this game to something like Fleet the Dice game, where we had a whale of a time playing it, but ultimately that game was just, you roll dice, you get bonuses, number go up, it's got the juice, you feel great about number going up, (laughs) and then you leave. And like, I've got Uh, a lot of time for number go up juice games uh, in in my collection. Like I took our copy of Witchstone. It sat right behind me. But you're kind of right that like, I haven't been amazingly excited to go back to it. But I do just know that it's there for me if I just want to feel good about getting loads of actions on one turn. It's (laughs) It's
0: re- <laughs> yeah, it's it's really solid. It's really solid. I think the cauldron puzzle is phenomenal, and you know, figuring out how to place your actions spatially, and then the getting more and more actions. And to me, the area where Witchstone was like a nine out of ten, as opposed to like a seven point five or an eight, was was when those actions actually interacted back with the cauldron and let you move crystals. Yeah, I think all the little mini games you play on the board are actually a, a little dull and not as interesting as they are in something like Gugong, which where. Where all of the the mini games in Gugong are thought provoking, mm-hmm. if my memory serves. I might be being way too generous to this game. <laughs> I think I think about Gugong all the time because I've got. It, the, my, when we record the podcast, my review stack is just to my left. And I've had an expansion for Gugong sat there for like two <laughs> years that I've never been able to play because. It's basically product uh, placement, uh, but in, yeah, in, in yeah, a I, sort of I've, brain way. I've placed my own product in a place <laughs> that I can see it. And so I keep. Ruddy referencing it. I need to play Gugong Panjin. Actually, you know what? I should, I should do a dump, get kill two birds in one zone, sit you down, force you to play Gugong because you haven't played Let's it yet. Let's do it. And then we can Let's play it. with Panjin. Hey, we yeah. can
1: promise that podcast to the people. One day we'll talk about Gugong expansion, Gugong Panjin and it'll yes, be great yeah 2024 2024 Gauguin, coming soon min- i mean maybe it'll be on times. the uh, on the top 100 feature when we get around to making creating that horrible monster that we've that grave that we've dug for ourselves
0: yeah well that's i am I'm, I'm actually really excited to start doing the top did you say top 200 top what something to, like hold on i thought we were doing a top 300 <laughs> this is i don't like this joke this is really uncomfortable thank you very much for listening to the shut up and sit down podcast everybody uh tom uh, i haven't listened to the last podcast yet did you and Ava big up my review of blitzkrieg and caesar we did uh i said that i okay. preferred caesar to, to,
1: to, to i need to i need to get across though that the, honestly i was cackling at the fact that you uploaded the video with the title blitzo <laughs> No, <laughs> it, it was such a threatening notification Don't to get that was like shut me. up and sit down. as upload a video. And I was like, oh yeah, what's it called? Blitzo. <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: yeah. I, I, you know what? I realized I'd made that mistake when the first comment just said Blitzo. Blitzo there were got, like four comments, like that five were all times. Like, Blitzo. <laughs> yep, and then it got uh, upvoted like a whole bunch, and then I was like, oh no. What <laughs> um, a lot of respect to the YouTube commenters, by the way, who will leave a stupid comment like that and then when you change the name of the video so that their comment is irrelevant, they will go back in and edit their comment to be like, I do think Caesar is an interesting test from Paolo Mori. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, and I saw I saw you, YouTube user, I saw you write something stupid, and then after you... Because you can't be first and also watch the whole video. Yes. So you post something really stupid about first impressions, and then after you've watched the whole thing, you, can, you, you go, back, go back and you know, you're we love to see reasonable it. YouTube It's user. just engagement. It's engagement, baby. It's engagement. I I I found out, by the way, that... um. There's a Blitzkrieg expansion that I did not know about. Oh yeah, it's got it's got Godzilla in it. It does. It's Blitzkrieg Nippon, and it's it actually the new edition of Blitzkrieg coming from PSC Games. I didn't know this comes in a square box. Whoa! Which I think is even smaller than the original Blitzkrieg box, and includes the Nippon expansion. That's good. So that that game that I thought was good just got better. But this week on the YouTube channel, Tom, I believe you've reviewed uh, Cosmos's Robin Hood. Robin
1: Hood robin hood the The adventures of robin hood (laughs) uh yeah it's robin hood the adventures of robin hood by michael mentel i believe it's a really weird game to review uh i have struggled with my conclusion because i started really liking it and then the more i played it kind of the less i liked it but i've then kind of turned around on it because my family really like it It's a strange box. Uh, Basically, you can see the review, but to give you an idea of what this game is, it's a giant board that's full of like little advent calendar doors and you and your friends or your family play Robin Hood and his band of pals and you go around the map and you examine things in a kind of choose your adventure style scenario based campaign game. It's got this very strange way of teaching itself to you. It demands when you open the box, it's like, do not read the rule book put this down right now and just start playing at the ruddy game and then you do and then it tells you what's up over the course of like several missions uh to to give you a spoiler filled conclusion i think that robin hood is incredibly interesting but maybe not quite good enough to satisfy people who are really looking for something crunchy and interesting but that tactile appeal means it kind of is really great on another level it's great as a family game. It's great as an introduction to board games. I've not seen my family so engaged in something for quite a while, which is baffling really? to me being someone who actively finds the writing in the game incredibly poor. <laughs> and you do a lot you do a lot of reading in this game and it's yeah, you'll see in the review uh, I bought a green morph suit for it. Oh. No idea if that will
0: make the cut. What do you mean? you bought wait, you bought a green morph suit and it won't make the cut. Yeah, I'm wearing it right now. Oh wow. Well, wow. is that a green like Charlie Kelly from always <laughs> Yes, yeah.
1: Well, so that this is the joke in the video. No idea if it'll, if it doesn't make it into the video, you'll you'll get to have this in, enjoyable uh image in your head but i start the video in the green morph suit and i come into frame and i go good morrow tis i robin hood look at me in my merry green and then i do like later on i'm like of course this is not my full costume the magic of cg will replace it with something way better looking and then it never gets replaced Um, or it will get replaced by something being projected onto the green screen for example a picture (laughs) of a robin
0: oh that's a really good joke that's a really good joke did it make you like Robin Hood the, the folkloric figure more or less
1: <laughs> uh, nonplussed either way I don't know anything about Robin Hood you, you um, played the game and you still don't know that's, that's <laughs> deliberate <laughs> ignorance well no because the thing Well, I mean if you play the game the thing that you learn about Robin Hood is that he gets to draw five strength when shooting a bow rather than three <laughs> <laughs> uh, that seems hang on,
0: even that seems underwhelming for Robin like, Hood <laughs> robin hood's like he split an arrow with an arrow that's the thing about is robin that his Hood. thing well, yeah he can
1: shoot an arrow there's a really lovely like so the game kind of t- gives its mechanics to you over time and the thing that i really love is that previously you just have to go up to guards and just punch them in the face for most of the game but then about a quarter of the way through it gives you the bow and that lets you lay down a little uh, wooden arrow tile to judge distance from how far if you're far oh. away enough,
0: which is delightful
1: like, this is fun. the thing is that like the actual and then the combat is you just pull cues from a bag the cues from a bag is a pretty fun mini game the writing and going and exploring and like the actual scenario design is maybe a bit wanting but god it feels good to like lay out a little conga line of people because that's how you move and then shoot an arrow at someone oh it's joyous that very very innovative game yeah. tactile innov- innovation is a very good word for it it's innovative and cool and that's my conclusion because we've been recording for a while i can't believe you're non-plussed about robin hood i just couldn't i couldn't care less about robin hood i could care even less about Maid marion whose power is throw a bird at someone <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, 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 i'm dead okay right, let's wrap this podcast up oh my god <laughs>